Hey, good morning. It's Friday, April 3rd. We are here in the Mountain Fun Life Channel studios, and we're going to do a little sports in the Smokies. And uh, to be honest, it's going to be very little sports because there's still nothing going on. Uh, before we get rolling on what we're uh, going to talk about today, do want to make sure everybody knows that yesterday, Governor Bill Lee of the state of Tennessee did issue a stay-at-home order that requires us, unless we're doing something essential, to stay at home. So, stay home, be safe, um, take care of yourself, but uh, and we'll get through this as quickly as possible. So, what we're going to do today is a, something a little bit different. Now, if you watched the show last week, what you saw was Instead of covering sports, I started covering outdoors and we went up to the Smokies and we did a couple of hikes, one with my grandchildren, then one just me. And uh, I was going to do that again this week and then they closed the national park, which makes that kind of difficult. I don't mind climbing a fence or two, but you know, I don't want to go to jail either. So I had to come up with something that we could do that is still outdoors, still being active a little bit and uh, won't get me thrown in jail. So I started thinking about what can we explore, what can we do, where can we go when we can't leave our house? And it came to me that one of my hobbies involves me traveling across the entire universe without ever leaving my front yard. So one of the things that I love to do is go out and take pictures of the night sky and do some astrophotography. And so we're going to cover that today. We're going to take a look at some of the pictures that I've taken. I'm going to show you my telescope, the stuff that I use to do the pictures. And then I'm going to show you how I take the information that I gather while I'm taking pictures and turn it into a finished product. So it should be kind of fun. And by the end of the show, I'm going to tell you how this applies way outside of astronomy, photography, or anything else. So it's going to be kind of cool. I hope you hang out. So as always, we're live on Facebook. We are also uh, streaming on uh, our podcast apps, uh, which reminds me we'll be doing a post-show podcast where if you have any specific questions on astrophotography or sports or anything at all, I'm going to call it my Friday free-for-all. If you have any questions, including where I find my fine shirtwear, anything's up. It's all up to you. This part of the show is a little bit more structured. I have some stuff that I'm planning on doing. We have some graphics and things. But when we get to the podcast, sky's the limit. You ask the question, I'll answer it. So I don't promise that I will talk as long as Frank because I don't know anybody that can talk as long as Frank. So, but we should have some fun. So I'm going to run with a short video right now that uh, kind of introduces you to the telescope rig that I use. We'll walk through it. We'll take a look at it and then we'll come back here and we'll look at some pictures and uh, I'll show you what I do. So let's uh, roll that video. Good morning, everybody. Well, like I said, I wanted to show you the rig I use to take the pictures before we actually start looking at the pictures. Uh, this is my telescope. Um, I've had it for a couple of years. I really like it, obviously. Um, it looks pretty complicated, but it really isn't. If you start off thinking like a photographer, then everything starts to become familiar. The whole telescope, it's nothing but a lens. A super big, powerful zoom lens, that's all it is. Um, and then the camera, this is it right here. This is uh, the camera that I use. And believe it or not, it's actually based off of a webcam. 
what astronomers, amateur astronomers mainly discovered a few years back is that when you're gathering data for pictures, more is better than less. And standard digital cameras and obviously film cameras, it takes a while to get the picture, it takes a while to develop it, and you're really limited in the amount of data you can acquire. What a webcam can do is take a lot of exposures fairly quickly and gather that data and you use it and it turns out you can get images from a home setup like this that rivals what they were getting from the greatest observatories just 10 years ago. Um, it's really impressive. So this is the camera, this is the lens, and this right here is the heart of the system. This is the equatorial mount. What does equatorial mount mean? Well, you know the Earth spins on its axis and all the way around the widest part is the equator. If we align the telescope to where it rotates, and that's what this does right here, and I'll take this loose so you can see it, the telescope is rotating around the same pole as the North and South Pole. What that means is when we have the telescope centered, it is pointed directly at the axis of rotation. And what that means for me as a photographer is once I have this telescope pointed at a certain spot in the sky, the little motor on here that rotates it around this axis keeps it pointed at that spot in the sky as long as it's available. So from horizon to horizon. And that's really important when we're doing photography because we need to take a lot of different images and we need them all pointed at the same place so that we can stack them all up. And that's what I'm getting ready to show you when we go back into the studio. So this rig here is really uh, more basic. I've got a lot of other gear that I can use, but I wanted you to see the uh, simplest setup. And this is actually the setup that I used for the pictures that we're gonna be playing with in the studio. So let's go ahead and go in there and take a look at what's going on. All right, so that's the uh, telescope. That's the rig I use to take pictures. Um, and let's uh, take a look at a couple of pictures that I have here so that we can uh, talk about it just a little bit more. There are a couple of different types of telescopes that we talk about. And this one is called a reflector, which means the light comes in the front, goes down to a mirror at the back, bounces back up to your eyepiece. So that's why it's a reflector, because it's a mirror. The other type of telescope that we talk about most normally is called a refractor. And that's all lenses. There's generally very few mirrors in the refractor. And they both have their strengths and weaknesses. Refractors can be a little bit smaller to get the same amount of uh, light gathering capacity. Some other things like that, but it just depends on which way you want to go. I went with the reflector because it's a lot cheaper. So, you know, that works out pretty well. The cameras that I use, and uh, that's a good picture of the cameras that I use, um, they're based on a webcam, like I said in the video, which means they're very, very fast. They can pick up a lot of detail in a short period of time. And what that does is allow us to gather as much data as possible during a night of viewing. Now, you're going to hear me say that quite a bit. Instead of saying taking pictures, I'm going to say gather data. And the reason for that is... Oh, thank you. Microsoft just told me what to do with my computer. I think I'll tell them what to do. So, <laughs> the uh, when we're gathering data, what you're going to see is when I produce a final image and when astrophotographers produce a final image, it's actually a combination of maybe hundreds of images. 
And we do that because that way that allows us to pick up a lot of the detail that we wouldn't normally see uh, when we're looking through the eyepiece or when we're just taking a single picture. And I'm going to show you what that looks like as we go through the process. So when we're actually sitting at the telescope, picking up our images, we're really gathering a lot of digital data that we're going to use later to create the picture. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. That's what we're going to look at. So when you're going to take pictures of the sky, the first thing that you've got to do is a make sure you're going to have a clear sky. And there's a lot of different websites that you can go to to get that information. And here's one that I use. It's called Clear Outside. And it is very good for astrophotography and it's designed for it specifically. And you can see uh, for each day, it tells me what the phase of the moon is. The bigger and brighter the moon, the less likely I'm going to be able to get good pictures of deep sky objects. So when I've got a big bright moon, I'm going to start looking for galaxies or planets in the near Earth sky. And when I've got really uh, a, a uh, new moon or close to that, that's when I can go for the deep sky, the nebulas, and the other really faint objects. So when we look at this, we can see that for tonight, this is this afternoon, everything's on 24-hour military time, so Jim Johnson, right up our alley, right? So it's going to get dark around 9.30, and immediately clouds set in. This is the astrophotographer's life. We'll have a beautiful, gorgeous, clear day all day today, then it's going to get cloudy as soon as it gets dark. But it looks like I've got about three hours in here where I'm going to get some good uh, data. And you can expand this and get a lot more information, tells, tells you exactly what's going to happen. 92% uh, of the sky will be obscured at 10 o'clock at night, and it's all going to be high, high clouds. This little thing tells me that the International Space Station is going to cross over and will be visible from my location uh, starting at 9.15. Uh, it'll be at its highest point at 9.18 and will disappear at 9.19. So if you want to spot the uh, International Space Station, it tells you to look to uh, the north-northwest at about 10 degrees from the horizon. So lots of cool information here. There are other clear sky maps. Here's another good one that I like to use. Um, this one has a little bit less detail, but then again, uh, when you first look at it, but then when you dive in deeper, you can get uh, more information. So again, you're seeing right here about 10 o'clock, poor skies, uh, rated two of five, and it's because of the seeing. So that's the first step. I've got to have good weather in order to find my uh, objects. Next thing I want to do is under normal circumstances, I want to go to a dark sky site. Um, the darker the sky, the better the seeing, the easier the imaging. Now, this is a map of the United States based on light pollution, and uh, you can see anywhere in the eastern half of the United States, it's going to be hard to find some dark skies. But let's uh, zoom in a little bit and look at the, uh, our area. Now that one is not scaling, and that's no fair. Here we go, now it's starting to scale. Here's Knoxville. 
You can see the Smokies has a lot of nice green areas. Kling's, Klingman's Dome. So you can see in order to get to a dark sky, we've got to get out into the Smokies or somewhere out uh, further away from all of this light pollution. Let's check this light pollution map out because I think it may be a little bit more useful. There we go. That's working a little bit better. Always have a backup plan. So here is Sevierville, where I live, and you can see I'm in a pretty bright area, but I don't have to drive too far, if I was allowed to drive, to get into some darker skies and some better areas. And you can see coming down 321 to Townsend, you're in a pretty good area and so on. So, you can find some dark sky sites. It just takes a little while to look around and see what you can find. There we go, lighten the intensity a little bit so we can see a little bit better. And obviously, the deeper you get into the Smokies, the better the light gets. So, those are the first two things that we want to do is look for good light and look for good weather. Then the next thing that we need to do is look for good targets. We need to know where to go and where to look to find good targets to look at. And we can use an online star chart for that. And that's exactly what this is. You can see it'll tell me where the planets are, where the sun is, and other interesting things that we want to take pictures of. All right, so we set up our telescope. We're in as dark a site as we can get, and we know what we want to take pictures of. We know what we want to look at. So the next step is to go ahead and start doing that. Now, the pictures that I'm going to show you here, and we're going to take a break in just a second, and then we'll come back and start looking at those pictures, were all taken from my front yard. So deep, deep light pollution, probably the worst possible light pollution that you can see. And you'll see that with the right techniques, with the right tools, we can eliminate a lot of that and still get some pretty awesome pictures. So let's uh, take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll start looking at some of these pictures. I'll show you how we process them and how we pull the images together. So hang out and we'll be right back. Welcome back. All right, so got a couple of comments. Let's see what we're going on, what we've got going on here. Uh, Diane Ladyhawk-Wabinski says, I happen to know a meteorologist who informs us about clarity. Yes, he does. 
That would be Captain Accurate David Aldrich. And I listen to his forecast first thing in the morning and any updates throughout the day. And that does help me decide when to set up the telescope. And, uh, oh, Diane also says that she has an Orion reflector. And that's exactly what mine is. It's, it's a uh, Orion reflector. Uh, it's 150 millimeters, which describes how big the lens is. And that tells you how much light it can gather. Magnification is a different thing. When you're looking at a telescope, buyer's tip number one, you want light gathering capabilities more than magnification. Magnification is great, but if you're not gathering enough light, then all the magnification in the world isn't going to help you. The department store telescopes that you see, um, no matter what the brand name on it, on them is, even if it's a Mead, an Orion, or uh, a Celestron, those are three of the good names. Um, they're not going to be good for deep sky astrophotography. For a child who's just starting out and just wants to see the planets, they work great. And we'll do a show in the future. I've got one of those. It was given to me when I was 14 years old. Um, the company's long out of business, but it is still a good scope for just going out and looking at the moon and Jupiter, Saturn, and uh, just getting used to using a telescope. Then when you get into it, you can bump up in uh, quality and start getting into some serious instruments. Um, let's go ahead and mention uh, price range, just so you know. You can get the cheap department store scopes for 100 bucks. Just remember you get what you pay for. When you move into something that you're going to be taking pictures with, like uh, my, my rig, for example, the telescope itself, not including the mount, was about $300. I spent more on the mount because when you're doing photography, the mount is critical. If you talk to any photographer, whether they're astrophotographers or studio, their tripod may be the most expensive piece of gear in their studio because it's the base, it's the foundation. If it moves, if it shakes, then you're not going to get the results that you need. So I spent a little bit more on the tripod and the mount, and that was about $600, and then about $200 on the camera. So $1,100 all in. You can do astrophotography significantly cheaper. If you have a, a uh, digital camera already, you can buy just a regular tripod and a mobile head, and we'll do some uh, work with that here later on down the road. And then your total investment is less than $300 and you're getting some good pictures. You can actually do some astrophotography just with a cell phone and a tripod. So if y'all are interested and you wanna get into this hobby along with me and we're still trapped in our front yard instead of going out and doing other things, I'll be more than happy to dig into that. And we can do that during the uh, podcast as well. All right, so we're shifting over now and uh, this is uh, just Photoshop, standard uh, image processing, program. I use this one most because I use it in my professional life as well, so it's already paid for. If you don't want to spend money on a uh, photo processing software, uh, GIMP, G-I-M-P, is a free uh, photo software that is nearly as powerful as Photoshop. There is a learning curve, but it's free, and uh, I'm willing to put in a little effort to learn to use something that's that powerful that's free. So the first thing that we have to do is like I said we're gathering data and that means I'm taking maybe hundreds of pictures to get to my final image and the picture that's on screen right now 
This is an example of one picture, okay? And if you can see this, this is the Whirlpool Galaxy, and you can see it's very dim, it's very hazy, and you don't see a whole lot of detail. It's just a kind of a, a blurry blob. And for a target like this, this is pretty much what you're going to see looking through the telescope. This is what your eye can pick up. All of the color, all of the detail, everything that we're going to develop when we put these pictures together is there. It's just too faint for our eyes to pick up. And remember that because it becomes important here when we go get to our close. So this is the first image of hundreds. So the first thing that I have to do is stack all those images together. Now remember what I said earlier, the mount moves the telescope with the sky. So we're always pointed at the same image. And that means that each image I take is going to be virtually the same. There's a little bit of drift. We live in an imperfect world, so nothing is aligned perfectly. So we have to do what's called registering. And there's a very simple free program, Deep Sky Stacker, that does that for me. I put all the images in, I pick the best image that I like, and it registers all of the other images to that. So the last thing we're going to talk about before we start processing is the camera. You've got two choices with the camera. You can go with color or uh, monochrome, black and white. Most astro astrophotographers go with a black and white camera or a monochrome camera. And here's the reason why. When you use a color camera, each pixel element or pixel has to have four sensors to it, red, green, blue, and brightness or luminance. So that means you have four times fewer sensors on the uh, camera than you would on a monochrome, which means you lose detail. So what astrophotographers do is they'll go with a monochrome camera. So take pictures in grayscale, just like this one. So I get four times of the detail. And then we use filters, red, green, and blue filters in order to get the color information. And then we digitally combine them. And that's what I'm going to be doing here in just a few minutes. So I want you to remember this picture here because this is what you would see through the telescope. And this is what the first images come out and look like. So now after I stack everything together, I've got four more images up here and taking pictures through the red filter, I stacked them all up and you can see already, even though I've got a lot of background noise here, so it's very gray, I can see more detail. I can see the spiral arms. And again, this was taken from my front yard in light pollution. So I've got more detail there than uh, the green image. And you notice the picture didn't move. That's because everything is registered properly. Some more details, some different colors. I'm seeing some halos around here, which is a separate galaxy. And then on the blue, again, a little bit different intensity, a little bit more detail. So just by taking all of those pictures and stacking them together, I start developing a little bit more uh, detail. Again, here's what a single picture looks like. So you can already see we get a lot of uh, detail just by stacking. So the first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to select everything here. I'm going to copy it and I'm going to create my final image. So let's go to new clipboard. It's automatically in grayscale. This is going to be a color image. So I'm going to change it to RGB color and then hit OK.
So now I've got my new image here. And the thing that I want to do here is open up my channels window. And you can see I've got red, green, and blue here. So what that does is it allows me to place my different color captures into the different channels and get a full color image. So let's start off with the red image. And this was taken through a red filter, so the only information that got to the sensor is the color red. So what I want to do is work on this image a little bit. This is a histogram of the image. And what it is from left to right is all the different tones in a grayscale. So absolute black, medium gray to white. And you can see the vast majority of my picture is pretty close to absolute black. So I want to expand that dynamic range to use more of what's available. So I'm going to grab the slider, and this is called stretching the image. And you can see as I move the slider across, the image starts to lighten. I can see some more detail. Then this unused area down here, and you can see while I've kept the detail, I'm getting the image darker again. Now you can do it all in one step. I tend to do it in multiple steps because if I go too far or I make a mistake, I can fix it. So let's do a little bit more here. And you can start to see I've got a good dust lane here. So I'm starting to see some good detail. Now, as I drag this in, I'm going to move this over there so I start darkening the background a little bit. All right, so that's pretty good. So we're going to leave this right here where it is. So this image has been stretched a little bit. And I'm going to pull that histogram back up again so you can see what it looks like. So you can see it's not that narrow spike. It's stretched out a little bit. I've got some more detail. I'll give it a little bit more. I don't want to go too far because if you stretch too far, you start losing detail because you've gone further than what the sensors have available to them. All right, so that's pretty good. So we're going to go with that right there. All right, so now, again, select everything and copy it. And now I'm going to come over to my new image. And this is red, so I'm going to click the red layer, and I'm going to paste it in place. All right, so that's now in the red layer there. So I'm going to do the same thing with the green. Pull this up. And you can see I've got some different intensities here. So I had a little bit different uh, layout of the green light. So let's go ahead and make an adjustment, start to pull out some detail. And this is something that when I'm doing a final edit, this will take several hours as I play with it and adjust. Now, one of the things that you should be able to see here now, I've got a very bright core here in the center. And that is the core of the galaxy. This is a galaxy. It's a spiral. It's just like the Milky Way, but it's millions and millions of miles away. So we can see the whole thing. So I want to keep that core where it is, and I don't want it to blow out. For example, if I stretch it too much, you can see it starts to blow out. It gets a little bit too bright, a little too big. So I don't want to do that. I want to get as much detail as I can without destroying the integrity of the image.
We'll do this one more time. Darken it a little bit, and there we go. Now we're starting to see some nice detail here in the arms. And this second galaxy over here that is being, there's a collision going on between these two galaxies, and that's what that's showing. All right, so that looks pretty good. Again, select everything, copy it. And this is my green image, so I'll select the green side. And put that in there. And then the last thing that we're going to do, we've done red and green, so we need to do blue. So we'll go to the blue stacked image. And same thing. And you can see the blue has a lot of noise in there. So it wasn't behaving very well. There we go. Good first step. Do one more for this one. You can see I've got the uh, peaks a little bit better defined. And see if I pull that, it gets nicely dark but I'm also losing some detail, so I don't want to go too far with that. So let's go to right about there. One of the reasons I can do that here is this section down here that's completely black, this is where the image drifted on me. So it's showing up in the histogram, but it's garbage data. So I'm doing more looking at the actual uh, image that I'm wanting to save. And I'm still seeing some decent detail here. I haven't blown out the center. So we're looking pretty good right now. A little bit more. I can get finicky on this and spend days. All right. Again, select everything. Copy it. Take it over to my new image. This is the blue channel. Paste it in there. And now I have a color image. So do you want to see it? All right. So now we've got a color image. And it's pretty good. It's getting there. But you can see we've got lots of overlap from the different sizes and we're going to have to crop it. But before we do that, I'm going to add the brightness data that we took. That's the luminance, the L stack. There it is. And this, has, this image has more detail than the rest. So we're going to go ahead and adjust its levels. Stretch the image out. Got a little bit of space down there. There we go. Ah, nice. Adjust it again, just a little bit more. We don't want to go too far because we lose detail in the center of the galaxy. You can see how it's starting to get a little bit blown out, so let me back that up a little bit. Darken the background just a hair. There we go. All right, that looks pretty good. So now I do this one a little bit differently. This is brightness data. It's not actual uh, data for um, color. So I don't want to put it in as a color layer. So what I'm going to do is set it on top as a luminosity layer. And the way I do that, it's pretty much the same. Uh, select everything, copy it, come to my new image, and then I'm just going to paste it as a new layer. So I've pasted it as a new layer and it's registered properly. 
but it's showing up and it's overloading everything. So we're going to change our blending options. Yeah, that's not what I want to do. Nope, that's not what I want to do. Ah, right here. I want to change it to the luminosity. So I'm just using the brightness data to combine it with the rest of the image. And when I do that, there we go. So now we've gotten some more detail. Now that I've gotten everything put together, I want to crop it down to a usable image. So I'm going to get rid of all of the garbage all of the edges, just like that. And pick it up here. That looks pretty good, so let's go ahead and crop it. All right, fit it on the screen. Now, one of the things that stretching an image does is it um, desaturates it. It takes some of the vibrance, some of the color out of it. So I'm going to go ahead and add some of that back in. Ooh, slowly, because I don't want to make too big of an adjustment. Oops, made a mistake. So let's cancel this. I'm still on the luminance layer. So let's get to the background layer where there's actually color information. That will work much better, Richard. All right, so come back to saturation and start adjusting it. There we go. Now you can start to see that there's some color showing up, which is what we want. There we go. All right. So now we've got some color, and you can see with the luminance data, look at all the detail that we've got in these arms all sorts of dust lanes, all sorts of cool stuff in there going on. Okay, Diane has a comment, and I agree with her 100%. This is pretty wild. I can see this from my backyard. I, this is stuff that I took literally in the front yard of my house. So it's, it's pretty cool. All right, so we've got a little bit more processing to do. So the first thing I want to do is, again, I'm going to do the same adjustment that we did before using the levels. And you can see I've got a lot of room to improve. So let's do that. Now you can start to see the colors are really starting to pop now. And uh, I've got a hot spot on the image. I went a little bit too far. But that's good there. Kill some of the background. There we go. That's not bad. So I'm going to go with that. Then what I can do to correct some of the color balance is again go into my levels and instead of doing the whole image I can do some different pieces of it. So let's pick this up a little bit more. There we go. Now you can see over here I went too far and I overdid that so that's something that I would go back and fix later. Let's, there we go, that's pretty good. Now, there's a little bit of a color cast to it. So I'm going to come over here to my blues. 
I'm trying to get the background as dark as possible while still saving the color in the image itself. And my green. Yeah, it's getting a little bit too green. There we go. There we go. All right, I went too far with that. Cancel that one. See, I started to blow out the core of my galaxy here. And that's what, what I do. So, there we go. Just a little bit. All right. So, remember what we started with. That. This is where we started. This is what we saw. And with just a few minutes of processing and a little practice, this is what was actually there. And I want to stress this a little bit. This information, all of the detail, all of the color, was all there in this image. It was already there. But we had to take some time and do some work to pull it out to see it. So again, um, this is nowhere near ready for, for printing or anything like that. Um, I haven't done any sharpening. We can come in here, throw a sharpening filter on here. And normally I would do this on a mask just to sharpen specific areas. But just to show you how this works, let's pick up some sharpening. And you can see we're getting a little bit more detail. It's showing up a little bit more. So there's, there's a whole lot more processing that we, that we can do. So the next thing that I'm going to do, again, here's where we started. Then our color separations, red, green, blue, and then our brightness or luminance data. And we combine all of that and processed it. And that's where we got to. So here is from that very data, the final image of what I put together. Okay. And like I said, this is exactly what the process that I went through. I did some more sharpening. Uh, I played with the level sliders a lot more. I did, uh, like I said, you can spend hours getting there. I still blew out the center of the uh, second galaxy but I got lots of the detail. You can see dust lanes here and here. You can see where the two spirals are colliding. Um, you can see how far it goes off over here. So again, front yard and several hours of taking pictures and then several more hours of processing. Now here's a really, really cool thing. Um, I didn't go to school for this. I didn't have to go to classes Everything that I did here, everything that I've showed you, I found out how to do on the internet, just looking at YouTube videos, talking to the vendors who sold me my gear, uh, the whole nine yards. So let's look at a couple other pictures that I've taken and then we'll get to our close. This is the Orion Galaxy. And uh, if we can go full screen on this one, because the video wall's getting in the way. This is the Orion Nebula and it's in the constellation Orion. This is part of his sword. Um, and you can see this is only three or four exposures taken with a standard DSLR camera. So no telescope involved, no fancy mount, just several short exposures stacked up. 
and then handled. And you can see lots of color coming in here. And uh, if the weather will cooperate over the next few nights, I'm going to try to get some pictures of the Orion Nebula before it's too late in the season. This is the Trifid Nebula, and I left this picture as black and white just because I really loved the wispy details that you get of the nebula. By the way, all a nebula is is a cloud of dust in the sky, in, in uh, space. It picks up light, reflects some from stars, or if it's particularly big and dense, it actually emits its own light. But uh, you can see I've got some large stars in front. We've got some dark uh, dust blackening things out. We've got some lanes here where it's very wispy. Uh, little dark area here. So uh, very, very cool picture. And I want to gather a whole lot more data on that so I can refine more of the details. This is called the Fireworks Galaxy. And uh, this is the latest image that I took and pretty happy with it the way it's turned out. Some of the stars have blown up too big and there's ways to deal with that. But you can see very wispy details in the arms of the galaxy itself. So very, very cool. And then this is the screensaver. This is probably the best picture I've taken. This is the Dumbbell Nebula. Um, and uh, when you look at it through a telescope, again, it looks like a dumbbell that's very faint and gray. But when you take it through the steps that I just showed you, this is what's actually out there. So very, very cool stuff. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed walking through this briefly. Now, there's one thing left to talk about. And I told you I was going to take this in a little bit of a different direction. So here's where we're going with this. I want you to think about a picture that you've taken of friends, family, or coworkers. Or just go stand in a mirror and look in a mirror and look at yourself, okay? It doesn't matter what you're looking at, as long as it's a group of people. Because what I want you to understand, what I want you to figure out, is when you're looking at that image, or when you're standing right next to that person and looking at them, this image here, the one that's on this wall right here, that's what you're seeing with your eyes, okay? That's the reality, okay? It's not just galaxies, it's not just nebula, it's not just stars and planets. What we see with our eyes is the smallest portion of what's there. So if you really want to see another person, whether it's a friend, a family, a coworker, or the guy next to you on the bus, understand that you have to see with more than your eye. You have to put in time, you have to put in effort, you have to have patience, if you want to see all the detail, all the beauty, all the things that make that person the unique individual that they are. So don't concentrate on what you see with your eye. Take the time, take the effort, and find out what's beneath the surface because like you can see, there's a lot. All right, that's the show for today. I hope you've enjoyed it. I know I have. Uh, this is one of my favorite hobbies. Um, it takes up a good amount of time, keeps me out of trouble, and uh, keeps me in the front yard where my wife can keep an eye on me, so she likes that part. So, that's the show for today, and that's pretty much it for this week. Again, we'll be doing the After Show podcast in just a few minutes, so don't go anywhere. If you have any questions that you would like to ask, please do. And uh, so we'll be doing that in a minute. 
Now, next week, we've got another full week of shows planned for you. Like I said yesterday, COVID-19 may be keeping us at home, but it won't keep us off the air. So Monday, we'll have uh, Frank and Kira on Morning in the Mountains. Tuesday, we've got Santa Joe and a little birdie whispered to me that uh, we may get a special appearance from David Aldrich. So we'll see how that goes. Wednesday is Jim, along, Jim Johnson along with James Gilly for the entertainment show. Thursday is Ask Frank Live with Frank and Kira and who knows what's going to happen there. And then I'll be back here next Friday with another adventure somewhere outside exploring my front yard and seeing what all we can find there. So everybody stay safe, be careful, have a great weekend, and we'll see you Monday. Thanks a lot.